crossroads and the future is completely within our control. We're living through the single biggest culture shift of our time. This is the time for us to just really take charge. That's what revolutions do. They enable the impossible. Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of The Gross Show. In a world of 10 second videos and millions of Instagram pictures a day, who would have thought 20,000 word blog posts would work? Well, one person did. That person's Tim Urban. He has some amazing insights he's going to share with us today around creating content, being a rapid learner, and he may even tell us a story about writing a musical. I'm Kip Bodner, and this is The Grocery. Hey, Tim, how's it going? Hey, how are you? So I wanted to chat with you for a few minutes today. Kind of the first thing on my agenda, I knew you spoke at our inbound conference in November. Thank you for that. And one of the things that you talked about there was you had a blog before Wait But Why, Under the Turban, very clever name, by the way. Uh, (laughs) What led you to deciding that wasn't the right thing to do, deciding that you should quit doing that and and do something new? That, That was really a side project. And it was a low pressure, low ambition thing I would do when I was procrastinating. And I did it for six years and I wrote like 300 blog posts on it. I didn't expect them to go anywhere really. I thought that they would get a little following and that they would be just kind of like a hobby. But I really liked it. And so then when it came time to start a new creative project full-time, I considered a few different things, but when I thought about writing, blogging, I had learned a ton from my six years doing that. I knew what I was good at, what I didn't. I kind of honed my writer voice. And I thought that if I just could put full time into a blog, it could be a really different story. I could really, um, really have a lot of ambition with it and try to do really, really big, thorough, great posts. So I learned like a ton about myself as a writer doing that. And I learned that I like doing that and that I, and I kind of learned how I like to write. So that was really just two separate things. It was me then deciding to do a full-time creative project. And then it, you know, I happened to choose blogging as that project. The old blog never was really intended to be anything beyond what it, what it was. <laughs> okay, that's interesting. So I guess the thing that strikes me about that is when somebody goes off to start a new creative venture, I think the first thing they do is often look at other people, what they're doing, what success they're having, how that's working for them. But you, you chose to take a very different path than everybody else, instead of maybe mimicking what was out in the world then. Why'd you do that? I, I guess the way I look at a creator today, like someone who can create on the internet is, you know, uh, 20 years ago, if you wanted to be a musician, you needed to get in with like the record labels and the radio stations. And if you wanted to be a writer, you needed to get in with the publishing companies or the magazine editors or newspaper editors. And if you wanted to be, you know, you wanted to be in front of the camera, you needed to get in with movie or TV studios, you know, et cetera. And, really weren't there were like a few different slots and if you were like a square peg and there was no square hole you kind of had to shove yourself into whatever kind of shapes holes there were the, the internet has completely totally changed that so now the truth is you know everyone's pretty unique and has their own weird skill set and weird set of talents and things <laughs> they like to do and so it's not sure. even like a square or a round peg it's more like a puzzle piece that has weird prongs and different curves and angles for example like what what one of the shape puzzle pieces I like to be is a person who writes long form blog posts on like serious deep topics 
uh, well-researched, but they involve swears and, you know, stick figures, <laughs> stick drawings. And they're like as long as like a mini book sometimes. Like That's a strange niche. And if I tried to go and find a, a, a job description for that, you know, if I'd gone with my resume to a bunch of existing things 20 years ago and said, look, I want to write 20,000 word things with stick drawings and swears and deep topics, they'd say, uh, that's not what we do. You know, and I wouldn't <laughs> find anyone who did that. But today, it's actually not so hard because you, what you can do is you can just carve a hole in the exact shape of your puzzle piece. To extend the puzzle piece metaphor, I think one other edge on your puzzle piece that I think you're uniquely suited to is that you have a, a gift for learning and teaching in a very rapid and efficient way. I know you were a tutor for a long time earlier, earlier in your career. Can you teach us about researching and learning because that's what you do every time you take on a new creative project. I think what, what made me a good tutor was I did what I do now, which is I kind of I taught the way I would have liked to have been taught. So I would say, you know, I, I wished I was always confused about this. And if someone had now that I get it, if someone had just explained it like this, I would have got it. So then I would just explain it like that. <laughs> and that's kind of what I do here, too. Like, you know, I've read a bunch of things on blockchain and Bitcoin that I just yep. that didn't do it for me. Like I kind of got it. But I, I've still felt confused. What I would do if I were to take on that topic is I would read, read, read till I really, really thought I deeply understood. And once I got it, then I'm in a perfect position to teach it because I was just like two weeks earlier, my audience. I was just, I was the layman two weeks earlier who didn't understand this. And now I'm not an expert. You can't become an expert in something in two weeks, but I'm a mini expert. I get it well. I, I'm thorough with it. And now... I'm, I can't bring people to expert level because I'm not an expert level, but I can bring people from where I was two weeks ago to where I am now, which is what my readers mostly want. They don't care about becoming an expert. They want to get it as well as they would get if they read for two weeks straight. You're still going into a really deep dive of learning for weeks at a time. So how do you keep a beginner's mind? How do you really stay accessible during that period of time? Because I don't know, after I've read a day's worth of stuff, I feel like, oh, well, why do these people think that this is the right way? Obviously, it's this way that now I've learned about is the right way. How do you keep the perspective? Well, I just I think, think it's hard. Yeah, I think it is hard. I almost feel like, you know, it's like when an actor stays in character psychotically, like even in his normal life, like while he's doing a role, <laughs> yeah. like, like some crazy person like uh, Christian Bale or whatever. I try to kind of do almost a small version of that with, I like try to like really get my entire being into the head of someone who's reading this and is just where I was, where they, they know some stuff, they don't know a bunch of stuff, they're kind of um, confused, they think the whole thing's a little icky, they're skeptical about a bunch of things at first, they're not sure why they should be interested in this stuff at first, there's some background that they are embarrassed to admit they don't know, it, you can get in that habit. And then it becomes kind of natural, you just kind of find yourself when you, when, as soon as the typing starts, or the, you know, I just, I just, I'm in that zone and I'm basically talking to a student. And again, look, good teachers do this every day. Right, good teachers mm -hmm. constantly explain things for minds that are not where their own mind is in, in many different ways, not just in the knowledge, but in their opinion of it, in their perception of the topic, and all the fears they have and the anxiety they have around it. They get that. So that's what great teachers do. And a lot of teachers are not great teachers because they're not good at that. When a friend explains something to me and they do a bad job, the person who's getting explained to always feels dumb, but it's, you, it's not the person being dumb usually. It is the, the person <laughs> it's who's not. Well, no, it's the person who's explaining it is just not doing a good job of that calibration exercise. You know, my readers are damn smart. You know, it's like, a, I just think if you took the average intelligence and, and knowledge of, 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 of a way for a reader, it's 
got to be one of the highest on the internet because it's just people who are down to read long, thorough, in-depth things. That's a certain type of person. So if they feel dumb, it's completely my fault. I think an advantage I have is I can relate. I can be relatable as an explainer because I'm not an expert. They can say, oh, no, this is just me. He doesn't know what the experts know either. He's just another version mm-hmm. of me who just learned about this and he wants to just like tell me as if, as, as if it's like my friend explaining this thing, like my equal explaining this thing as opposed to like, here's like an expert that is smarter than me trying to teach me something that he knows way better than I'll ever know it. I like that personally. If, so if I feel like a smart friend is explaining something to me. <laughs> so I just, again, I try to do that same thing. And I think so the perception of being a non-expert is an advantage, I think, in some ways. It's a huge advantage. And I think what you just described is the problem most people who do sales or marketing work in the world experience, right? People don't read your marketing email or your sales email or hang up on you if you're a sales rep because of just that. You make them feel stupid. You don't properly communicate and educate them on the thing that you're trying to educate them on. And it's amazing how simple what you just said sounds, but how actual difficult that is on a, on a day-to-day basis once you get incentives and your own bias and everything involved with it. It's tricky. I think it's also, it's, it's, it's right, it's that. And, and when you come to talk about sales and marketing, one of the problems is also related to the relatability of whoever is giving that sales message. So the best marketing for Wait But Why in terms of spreading posts is always going to be someone, a reader sharing with their friends. You know, you'll listen to your friend, but if I'm putting an ad on your Facebook, you don't know who I am, and I'm saying, you know, 10 reasons you blah, 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 they're going to say, yeah, 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 you want page views from me. You know, my best interest in mind. You have your best interest in mind. That's harder for a marketer. You have to figure out how to do that. But I think that the more you can seem like this is someone who could be my friend who happens to work at this company who's telling me this, this message, I think that that's that can go a long way. That begs the question, when you write a post, do you have a particular friend of yours in mind that you're like, oh, I'm pretending I'm explaining it to this person? I kind of have just a feel for this crowd. I just like have a feel for the culture that we've kind of built on this blog. And like the, mm-hmm. the culture is not just me. It involves like the way we talk in the comment section and stuff. And I just kind of feel like, I don't know. I just feel like I'm talking to like my own tribe a little bit. These are my people. Like they get it. They're, we have the same sense of humor. They, <laughs> they know me well. Like they trust me. They make fun of me. They like, they're, we're all on the same page here. And that's a huge privilege. I feel like that, that because of that, I have like their ear. And I feel like they'll they'll, they'll listen to something. They'll, they'll, they'll Something that normally they would say, no, I don't believe this thing. They'll say, okay, well, if Tim's talking about it, like I'll hear him out. Like you would to a good friend. To me, it's, it's, it's the same way when you're talking to your friends or you're writing an email to a bunch of friends, you don't have to think about it. You're just kind of in the culture you're in mm-hmm. typing. That's kind of how I, I feel now. I'm just kind of like doing, that's the thing about a blog is I just started by kind of being myself and doing it my, with my voice and my style. And that att- happens to attract the people that resonate with it. You know, it's not like that's such a, such an amazingly relatable style. Well, cause there's plenty of people that would read that and be like, this is so annoying. Or this guy's like, why is he getting so <laughs> cute in his writing? Or like, I don't want to hear about him. Talk about the top. You know, those people are, why is he swearing? Like, this is like, grow up. Those people are fine. Those people are going to go find something else. The people who happen to get really into it, they just like, it just clicks with them. So it's so easy mm-hmm. to kind of just do my thing, be myself because the community that's there is, is into it by definition. So it's, it's, it really, the internet really solves a ton of problems. You know, if I wrote for the New York Times, well, I can't just do that because the New York Times has a bunch of readers um, already that, that 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 like a certain style. And if it's my style is different, that that might some of them might like it and other ones are not going to. And that's not really like a great thing to do for the, the company I work for. So it's, it's a real luxury, I think. Yeah, the New York Times already knows what back to your earlier comment, like knows what shape it's its hole is right. Like it knows what shape it is where. Right. You don't fit that. Right. And, so and you, have good to, that you have another you have place. To, you have to fit into that shape. Right. Exactly. Let's give it, let's give a shout out to the post that you felt like you learned the most or, or most proud of what you learned in the research process of writing over the past couple of years. 
Well, like, I mean, a, a classic example of like the kind of thing I try to do, and I think I, I think I did it here, was this post on artificial intelligence. And I think that the reason that was successful is that it was a huge topic, an important topic, and a topic that like you can't just read one little article and get it. Mm-hmm. But you, but it, but it's not a topic where you need to read three books t- to understand the deal. So it was the right level of thoroughness that I wanted to go to, where it's the good thing. It's really great, perfect for a long blog post, unnecessary for a book, and not. You can't do it with a short blog post. And then secondly, it's a critically important topic. It's a fascinating topic. And somehow, given those, given A and B, people don't know about it. So it's like usually something's fascinating and critically important. Everyone has mastered it. But it was early. It was the right timing um, where people had heard a lot about it, but it was they didn't get it. And part of the reason they didn't get it is because if you could get it by reading one article, then everyone would get it. But it was that barrier to entry for people. So that's the kind of thing that's a perfect topic. And then because of that, it was, a, it, was, it was a satisfying proportions where I could do like three hard weeks of research. I read three books and read probably 50 articles and maybe a few some parts of other books. But it was, you know, three, three weeks of reading and, and taking notes mm-hmm. was enough for me to kind of like then, then just sit down and just execute this 25,000 word, you know, two-part post in a couple of weeks. And um, that was a, a manageable amount for me. The post ended up providing a service uh, that really there was no better way to get that service. You'd have to do a lot more work right. to get the same info. So it was just it was just the right topic at the right time. And I think that the execution worked really well. And I think that's why that post in particular has just really made the rounds and and I think given a lot of people a, a good primer. So that's one I think I can point to as a as a success and the kind of thing I aim for. You know, I do a lot of different kinds of posts. Sometimes I'm writing a short post about the human condition or just a total comedy post. But the the brand of post I do that involves ex- long explainers, that that one, I think, you know, nailed it. So I hope to always you know, try to kind of emulate that. So we're in this era right now of the internet being a very interesting place. It's become really the ultimate propaganda machine. We have a lot of people talking about the fake news problem of the internet. I, I, I step back and I look... Wow, the the work that Tim's doing and heavily educated, heavily researched, long form content is like it's only getting more valuable and more differentiated, which is great. But like, where's content on the internet going? Like, are you worried? You optimistic? How do you feel about it? I think there's definitely a hunger for thorough, either news or ex- explainers on important things from really credible, trustworthy sources. Not just trustworthy in that it's accurate and that there's integrity, but trustworthy in that like, this is worth my time because this person, they, they, they really explain the full situation. Like I'm in good hands with this site. Like when I, if I read that, like right. I'm gonna come out and really get it. And you know, I've been burned by lots of sites myself where I read something, I'm like, huh, that was disappointing. Like I expected to like learn that and I didn't. Or, or then of course, you know, inaccuracy or question their integrity. It's like, I read some article the other day that had a line about, this is about fake news. And the point of the article is talking about how like, yeah, there's a lot of like fake news from like conspiracy sites and stuff, but there's also like kind of a lot of fake news from like famous big media sites, like just stuff that isn't that substantiated. That's clearly politically motivated, and like it's easy to the line was like it's super hard to build like trust and incredibly easy to lose it. That's true, and and like I just experienced that myself. Like I can love a site, but one bad article suddenly I'm kind of like I don't know about the site anymore. I just like you know I just I'm just not as enthused anymore. So I think 
there's a hunger for sites that we can trust. But you know, the business model isn't gonna be that scalable. You have to hire writers that are gonna put in two weeks into one article. That has to be okay. You cannot be in the, the business of volume and do that, where we need to have clicks, a certain number of clicks and ads. You have to basically do it on either donation or you're selling products or maybe like an ad partner. But like, you, you, you have to be, accept that it's not gonna be, you're not gonna get an insane number of clicks. That said, honestly, Wait But Why gets like, for, given how few posts there are, gets like a lot of clicks. Gets like you know, is yeah, you know, your average views for posts have to be crazy. I'm sorry, just interjecting. Yeah, like, yeah the, the, it has most to be posts, like bigger than any site on the internet. Most posts have a million views, um, and um, and some have ten million views. The thing about Wait But Why posts is they're uh, they're evergreen. So the one nice thing is it's not like you know the news du jour, and then two weeks later that post <laughs> is outdated. So all the posts have people on them at all times, and and when you have enough content built up, that can add up so you can get your clicks in a different way, which is that you have this you have this thorough archive of high quality things that just ends up getting kind of passed around consistently for years. And mm -hmm. if you have 10 writers doing two good things a day and then you have categories of archive, like I think that site gets, can get 10 million uniques a month, honestly. I mean, if I don't see any good reason, it wouldn't. But it has to be, you know, you can't have a bunch of medium writers and, you know, doing kind of cookie cutter kind of things. You have to have really good people who are extremely dedicated to, you know, this is their life is, you know, this month, all they're thinking about is this one article and then they just work on it. They, they slave away at it. And then they, and then they put it up and they fact check it rigorously. And, and that's, that's the model. I, I mean, not, not that that's the only model. Of course, there's a lot of money, 538, somewhere in between what I'm talking about yeah. and the things that aren't there. 538, you know, a writer might spend a day on one of those articles. Maybe they spend a few more, maybe they spend two or three hours. That's fine. But I think just what I know from Wave Y is that at least among other things, I think there would be a demand for a lot more like really, really good thorough articles. I mean, I, I know I would read a, a site like that if someone else were doing it. So, so to finish out with you, I really appreciate your time. What, what I, I'm wondering is, one, writing all this content in this very consistent format has to take a toll on you. And I'm sure there's other things you're thinking about doing. Like, just want to know what's next for you. You've talked about like you're you're writing many books. Are you ever gonna write a real book for us all to read? Like, what are you what are you thinking about in terms of the future is for you as a creator? Yeah. So I want to you know the reason I've resisted building that site I'm talking about is that like then I'd be managing people probably yeah. with, and and managing a brand and that's great. It's just not what I want to be doing right now. I I want to be writing and creating stuff myself, and I don't want to distract from that. And I know that building any kind of company will do that. So for me, right now at least, maybe I'll get sick of this, but at the moment, <laughs> what, what, what gets me going is creating things I'm proud of and you know delivering them to people who appreciate them. I want to do a lot of that. And right now it's blog posts. I do want to write a book. I do have plans to write a book maybe maybe next year. And uh, Fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, to me, that'll, I'm just gonna, that's going to be like the ultimate blog post is essentially what I'm going to try to write <laughs> is like, you know, <laughs> instead of writing, you know, a 25,000 word long post, I'm going to try to write a 125,000 word like, you know, super long post that I definitely want to do. I think that would be a perfect project, you know, for me, given where, where I currently am and what I'm currently been doing. Um, and, uh, and then like, I don't know, I, I like to, I want to create like a lot of stuff and I, in my life and, you know, I don't want, I don't know what. Before I was doing Wait But Why, I was writing a musical, and uh, I want to get back to that. I want to write. I want to like finish that and do that. So, I um. You could be the next Lin Manuel. You that, could. I mean, I mean, we don't know. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a it's a high bar. Uh, but um, I think the musicals. <laughs> yeah, musicals genius. Is, is, is genius a, is a high bar. Yes, he's he's an ama amazing genius. But um, I think um, you know, musicals are just as as Lin Manuel has shown are a really, really cool medium that do not need to be cheesy and old fashioned. Like it's a it's a special, amazing, magical medium if it's done well. 
and I can I would love to really really at some point like just try to do that but that could be 10 years down the road I don't know you know that's a beast well, of a... well hold on we, we at least tell us what the topic of the musical was just so that we can <laughs> all like sing fake songs that we make up in our heads my what, what was the topic? I'd written an, an act of it with a friend already uh when I started wait but why and then I I, I paused on uh that because wait but why is t- took all my time it was a it was a Disney-esque musical that took place in 62,000 BC and it was about the first guy to uh, invent a bow and arrow like there's like a hunter gatherer world and it's like the hunters and the gatherer women and the hunter yeah. men and this guy this like protagonist has like a bad leg and he has to gather he doesn't like that and then he <laughs> and, and and there's like tribal and it gets into you know a lot of its commentary on like our current tribalness like it's just you know it's it's i think everything you can explain basically every problem in humanity by the fact that we're tribal creatures and we're basically all babies that were supposed to be born into a tribe in 50,000 BC and we were <laughs> randomly born into this bizarre civilization uh, that we that none of us really know how to be alive in and so it, a lot of it the, the musical is kind of commentary on it, it, it was just fun to it was a fun medium to play with like the tribal human characteristics and show that like all of those things is really the root of everything that goes on today. But also it was just kind of cool because that is when the first bow and arrow, they that's the oldest arrowhead they found dates back to 62,000 BC. And that's why they, they, they're, they're pretty sure that like they go back at least that far. So this cool in the super primitive world, how cool it must've been when, you know, that tribe for the first time, instead of having to like run with these spears, realize they could, they could like, you know, shoot these magical mini spears much more effectively and just how, how much they would have suddenly dominated all the other tribes in the area and how, you know, the hunting would have gotten easier. It would have changed absolutely everything. And I just feel like that oh, was, yeah, life that changing. Was, yeah, that was also just like a cool historical moment to like explore. Plus, I, you know, I love Disney and, you know, it, I, I just <laughs> like writing. Yeah. I love writing like really catchy, really, you know, cartoony music. So that was really fun too. Just like I, we were trying to write our version of like a whole new world with like the protagonist and the, um, <laughs> the, the equivalent of like Princess Jasmine in that time, like sure. the the beautiful um, chief's daughter who was like completely bored by all the boring hunter men and like wanted, <laughs> wanted more death, wanted to understand how the stars worked. So you know, a little derivative, but we were having so much fun with it. So I, I want to, I don't know whether we'll go back to that particular one or something else, but I really do want to do that. You should. I, I, I I'm gonna put a vote in that you should. <laughs> okay, thank absolutely you. make some time in the in, in the future. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so yeah, much for hanging out. So with much. Me. Hi, thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you love The Gross Show and you like what you heard today, please leave us a review in iTunes. It just takes a second and it would mean so much to us. Thank you.